Oh, and it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> that that sounded almost too pleasurable for me. <laughs> what you got there? I'm focused. I'm focused on the poor. <laughs> oh, hang on. It's going quite well for once. Look at this. And my recorder's tipped over, so hopefully there's not a lot of sound. My apologies. Let me fix that. Oh, no. I'm just a mess tonight. Okay. Look at that. <laughs> oh, crap. And then I spill it. <laughs> this is great. This, tonight, is Rainhard Brewing's Sweetback Milk Stout. And Rainhard Brewing is... Where the hell are you from? It looked good. It's, it, it's close to me. It's near, um, near the, it's around the stockyards. Well, there you go. I am a fan of a good milk stout. There's one, there's one that almost tastes kind of chocolate milk-like, but you'd think it wouldn't sound good, but it really is. That one's, I think, by Calabogie. But anyway, this one, let's have a first taste. Ooh, that's smooth. What do you have? I have also got a stout. Um, mine is by Gahan Brewing, um, who are based in Prince Edward Island. Um, it's a Sydney Street oatmeal stout. Um, I'm 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 like a little bit with milk stouts. I'm here or there. You know, I I do love a good glass of milk. I'm a bit of a kid when it comes to that. But like, I with a milk stout, I sometimes find them a bit sweet. But an oatmeal stout, like the one by Saint Ambrose or Ambrose, however you pronounce it. And then uh, I never had this one before, so I'm hoping it's uh, something a little bit similar. And uh, yeah, it's a nice early beer for us. We're recording around 5 p.m. This is a little bit earlier than normal. We are, and I mean, I uh, you, you mentioned you you enjoy milk. I've been huge on chocolate milk as sort of a you know recovery thing, and because I've been I've been on my bike quite a bit indoors. And as we start this, I just rode a simulated Mont Ventoux, and I'm not a climber on my bike, so I'm feeling it so by the end of this i sound you know a little bit tipsy i have an empty stomach and uh i just got off the bike so i'm a little jelly leg right now and it's a nice image for the listeners as well right now gav is pretty hot and sweaty so uh, i know i'll be getting a little bit uh, hot under the collar myself looking at gav on the camera tonight <laughs> calm down <laughs> all right let's let, let's get to business now um let's start with me this week, uh, a fond memory of a trip down south with Canada's women's soccer team. Um, it would have been 2014, right before Christmas, to Brasilia. Brasilia. But actually, can you just remind me, because I'm going to be talking about Columbus a little bit later. Can you just remind me the tenuous link you made between these two places? Yes. Uh, sort of white elephant and soon-to-be white elephant, because the... The Estadio, what is it, Mane Garincha in Brasilia is a beautiful facility, but it's largely unused. Um, it's, I think it's used for like bus parking these days. And map-free stadium in Columbus is soon to be no more. And it was one of the first soccer-specific stadiums in North America. So unused and soon to be unused. So look at that for a connection. Yeah, that's uh, certainly one of the more tenuous ones we've had. Although we've got we've gone with a little bit of a... Uh alliteration i think between place names before but you know with this your your trip to the uh you know the garincha stadium here um you know kind of set the scene for us so you were there for work i assume i mean what was at stake in this match um and you know what 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 kind of uh, excitement was there around this match i suppose well it was a tournament so canada was in with uh scotland brazil and chile and, uh, yeah, so we were there for a good little while. And, 
you know, as someone, hotels just do not get old for me. So, um, you know, being in there for for a long while was, uh, I was okay with it. And it was, you know, it, it's not a city which was really great for walking around. But, you know, when you're in a place uh, where, you know, the meals are there, a lot's provided, you know, we essentially got you know, police escorts to and from training. Um, you know, it was uh, it was quite a fun experience, and especially being right before Christmas, because that was weird for me, because um, I was um, essentially going from Brasilia to Edmonton for Christmas with uh, my now wife. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry, this was 2013. So um yeah, that Brazil was prepping for the the World Cup in 2014, and uh, yeah, we were there for this this tournament, um, and the the stadium was, you know, stones throw walking distance away from uh, from the hotel. So that was it was it was an interesting, you know, just experience already because I believe yeah it was my first time in Brazil. Um, I had connected in, uh, I think I connected through Sao Paulo, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it's to date my only sort of Brazilian experience. So, um, I, I couldn't know it's the capital of Brazil. It's not the, it's not the biggest city in the country. Um, you know, most would mention the sports teams from there and kind of like, you know, shrug their shoulders. You don't get the Brazilian giants from there. Um, and as far as I know, it's not a city renowned for its, uh, you know, vibrant, lively, loud, you know, nightlife and stuff like that. So is it kind of like Brazil's Ottawa? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I grew up in Ottawa, well, a little bit in Ottawa. I was born there and I had a good time there. But yeah, Brasilia, it was designed. It was because uh, I think Rio and uh, Sao Paulo both wanted to be the capital. And then the government was just like, screw this, we're building our own capital. And so they built it out of nothing, and it was, you know, sort of designed in the era of the automobile, and so it's not, at least where I was, not the most walkable city. Um, you know, crosswalks were few and far between in my area. It felt like you had to drive to sort of get anywhere. Um, there are some some nice buildings. There is a lot of concrete, though, so um, it was, it felt, it did feel a little bureaucratic, Um you know, had we, uh, you know, gotten out a little bit more and seen a little bit more of it because, you know, uh, you know, it's a beautiful part of the world, very, you know, so much, you know, greenery, the lush, lush forests and all that. So I would have loved to get out a little bit more, but, um, yeah, there was sort of a, a democratic bureaucratic kind of vibe about it. <laughs> so like why, so they decided to build a capital city somewhere. Why, why do you think they decided this particular place? I mean, does it have decent transport links to other countries in South America? Or does it have good natural resources like water or something like that? I mean, why would they build it there? Uh, yeah, your guess is as good as mine. Um, you know, we've had p- few people sort of provide tips after the fact. So if you're listening and you know a little bit more about this than I do, then by all means chime in. But, you know... <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. It might have been, you know, drawn up on a drawing board and there were a couple, you know, sites where they thought might be good. And then you go, okay, we'll go with this one. So, um, you know, I know uh, they've had issues with governance in the past. And so, you know, maybe there was a, an envelope filled with something, <laughs> but for all I know. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was just a, an interesting place. And we actually, um, one night we, we had a dinner at the, 
Canadian ambassador's house. And um, as I mentioned, you know, police escorts to training every day and considering the traffic that that was surrounding it, it was a good thing because like I said, it was designed for a car and it just felt when I was there, like there was traffic everywhere. Um, I know there is uh, a local train network. I sort of read about it, but the stations are sort of all spread out. So it's not like a big, uh, you know, subway system where you can, you know, make a lot of stops downtown. So just from my experience, um, there was just, there was, there was a lot of cars. There were a lot of cars and it just sort of didn't feel sort of conducive to, walking and exploring by foot um, there was however right across from the hotel sort of between us and the stadium uh, a really neat kind of outdoor market uh, which sold all sorts of goods and I bought some flip-flops that I actually still think I have that the soles have come unglued a little bit and I think I've crazy glued them back once or twice but um, yeah it was cool to walk around and explore that which was another kind of neat thing and it sounds a bit posh that you went to a Canadian ambassador's house and had a bit of food. I mean, what did they cook up for tea? What 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 did they, what did you have there? I can't even remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the one the one it's on the subject of food and drink, the one thing that um, that good God I could easily become hooked on is uh, something called uh, guarana. It's uh, if you remember the Brazilian like warm up kit, they have a, a it says Guarana Antarctica, and that was one of their sponsors. And so that was like my go to every single morning when I was there. Just about it is it's a soft drink, but it's made from you know Guarana, which is I think related to coffee, but like more. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. this sweet, it's not for everybody, but uh, yeah, uh, I. Uh, actually, there are a few places I know in Toronto where to get it if I'm ever in the area. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's something else. We did we did. I do remember one night we went across to uh, a Brazilian steakhouse, which you know the the econaut in me thinks about how much of the Amazon gets knocked down for uh, you know cattle raising. But for one night, uh, I indulged and uh, I believe it was one of those things. Literally, if you had the well, you had like a little sign that had green and red and so green means keep bringing it red means no thanks uh i think i won i don't know if you can win dinner but um the the stories lived on with uh, among amongst the canada soccer staff <laughs> i um i went to uh when the lockdown kind of like was a little bit safer um i went to a friend's house for like a social distance barbecue and he's brazilian and uh, I was talking to, and he, he was putting on this great big hunk of Brazilian steak, and it was excellent. And I, I actually um, attempted to emulate it to quite considerable success, actually, a month or so later. Um, and I was talking to him about the meat, and he did admit that he prefers Argentinian steak. Um, he thinks it's a better quality. But, like, the, the, the way the Brazilians cook the meat and stuff like that, like, they just... You know, get this big. I can't remember what the cut's called, but but if you get this big hunk of meat, just throw it on the barbecue. It could be on there for like up to a couple of hours, just like with all the meat sizzling. Sorry, all the fat sizzling through it and stuff, and then they just cut through it and serve it up. And it really is beautiful. And I don't think it's a particularly um, expensive cut of meat as well, but they certainly know what they're up to there. And it, I know that certainly you know, certain countries like Brazil. And Argentina are just um, absolutely smashing when it comes to barbecues. Oh, yeah. Well, and then, then the Brazilian steakhouses, too, they come out with them essentially on swords. And they're like, would you like one? And you're like, yes, I do. And um, I'd also been to a Brazilian steakhouse in, God, it was Provo, Utah. I would have, it was Olympic qualifying 
2016 uh, when I was still, it was my last camp with, with the Canadian program. And uh, yeah, so we went to a Utah Brazilian steakhouse and yeah, it wasn't quite the same, but uh, the authentic experience was, yeah, it was uh, something else. Uh, you know, you sort of make the exception, you know, if is someone who, you know, is sort of the buzzkill when it comes to, did you know that the forest is cut down for beef? Um, you know, you make the exception in uh, in Brazil itself. And uh, Fogo do Chao, I think it was called. And wow, that popped into my head right now. I The brain works in strange ways. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but at the ambassador's house, I can't remember. I think it might have just been a bunch of finger food for all I know. Yeah, cause it, like, but I've always like imagined the ambassadors because it just sounds such like it's just a grandiose word, isn't it? I'd always imagine their houses to be like um, just like a mini Buckingham Palace, like really posh. Was it was it was it like that? Like, did you did you have to like watch your manners and all this kind of stuff when you were there? I did because I have the tendency to sometimes embarrass myself, but. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was it was just sort of a night they wanted to say welcome. Uh, I believe they came to a few of the games that came. So of course, they were easy to spot considering there might have been, you know, a couple thousand people at most in the stadium, uh, in this massive cavernous facility. Um, and uh, yeah, they had, you know, it was just, a, it almost was, you know, just like a t- typical house with a nice backyard, um, you know, and walked around a little bit and they said a few words. It wasn't like a long official visit or anything but uh, it was just a nice nice evening okay so so tell you you kind of like given us a little um a hint a little tease about the football there so just you know tell us about the football experience um you know you've you just said there weren't that many people there so i assume this uh, didn't exactly have the city on standstill this game no um yeah no i mean it was when when canada played brazil there would be you know, it was fairly decent, but, you know, that's all relative um, because it was such a cavernous, massive facility that, you know, didn't reach the upper bowl uh, or close to it at all. Um, and, you know, it looked spotty down below. But, uh, you know, it was kind of cool when you'd see the World Cup there a year later, excuse me, um, to sort of when the players were walking and when they come out of their dressing rooms which were quite nice um uh, they come down the tunnel and then they sort of go down the stairs and then up the stairs to get to the field and you know it was a year later during the world cup it was cool to see you know sort of be like oh yeah i was there that was that was kind of neat uh but yeah the games yeah like i mentioned it was scotland canada brazil and um chile and chile was a team that i don't think had played much lately and uh, the first game you know Canada took Scotland easily 2-0 Chile upset Canada 1-0 in the second one uh it was it was just a weird game that way one thing I'll never forget is you know you could hear it throughout the stadium uh but I was down on the field taking a few pictures at the time and Christine Sinclair um you know she was upset about something and she turned at one point and she just shouted at the ref she bit me (laughs) (laughs) and you know obviously i guess they didn't see uh what happened so um you know no harm no foul but that was one thing that stuck with me because like she shouted and you can you know sort of hear it throughout um and then they went on and tied brazil nil nil and then they had to play in the third place game against Scotland, beat them 1-0. And literally, the team went to, uh, you know, pick up the trophy, the third-place trophy in a four-team tournament, and they all went to the airport right away. 
I, I was flying out the next day, so I just sort of walked back to the hotel and enjoyed a nice quiet evening. I would find out later <laughs> that uh, their, the team's flight was delayed for a very long time for, I think there was an issue with one of the toilets or something. And, um, you know, I was putting my feet up, my work was done and you know, I was glad that I didn't fly out right away, that I was flying out the next morning. But yeah, it was, it, it all sort of passed in a blur. You know, you'd sort of get into the routine in a tournament like this. You'd play the first game and then you'd have, you know, a day off where, you know, players would, um, those who didn't really play would have a light session. And then you would sort of ramp up the next day, play. And they sort of, it was this, you know, they want, you really wanted to use the tournament to get used to, you know, an Olympic experience or a world cup experience where you, you know, you're doing a lot of the similar, similar motions. And, um, it, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I'd get distracted at the training sessions because one thing that's very common in the area is, uh, there are burrowing owls, which, um, they live in, you know, like old gopher holes or, you know, holes in the ground, essentially. And they come out and they have the most expressive faces. They're like these owls staring back at you. And they were all over the place. In Canada, there are some in, in the prairies, and I think they're, they're in trouble. Down there, they're flourishing because, of course, as more trees get knocked down, there's more plains open to them. And they're doing great. And I took so many owl pictures when I was there. One of them, you know, with the head tilt, one of them almost looked like he was winking at me. I called him Winky. Um, and so, you know, I, I was sort of mixing work with, um, you know, I, I wouldn't pester them too much, but uh, just getting some good pictures of owls. So the, the burrowing owls all over the place. And that's the one thing I'll never forget is how common they were. It was a lot of fun. That's, that sounds quite lovely. And I, I wanted to ask you about the, you know, the nature aspects because I don't know maybe this is a reason why they uh, you know put a big city in this area but there there is a lake uh, nearby and I know there is a national park nearby so is there beautiful scenery close by or did you did you see the you know ugly deforestation even before um Bolsonaro got in there yeah I mean it was well I mean yeah, it was going on even before he got in there he's just sped it up um and yeah. on the way out to the airport is really where you sort of noticed you know what there could be but yeah there was a lot of construction going on um and yeah but you you know that was the most sort of natural experience i had was was on the way up to the airport where it was it was it was more rural where we were was was pretty urban and um yeah it was i i would love to go back just to sort of see if the little initial experience that I had was the actual truth, whether the traffic was so bad. Are there places I could walk around, uh, get out into the more natural elements and find a place to hike or all that? So um, it was very much just the a tease of, uh, you know, of, of the place. It wasn't by any means a thorough exploration. And, you know, that's what sort of left with me is that, you know, it, it, a lot of people go to Rio and, and, and all that but you know if i ever did go back to brasilia again there's certainly a lot left undone well about the stadium as well um like obviously this is a pretty fancy facility it was used for the world cup i was actually looking at the games that were played there at the 2014 world cup there is not really very interesting games to be honest um they, they had the third place playoff when you know brazil still licking their wounds after that 7-1 loss to germany uh were 
defeated comfortably uh, by the Netherlands. And then there were some games earlier in the tournament, but none of them were that noteworthy. And now the stadium's pretty much sat there uh, dormant. I mean, there's two teams. I think the bigger teams are uh, Brazilense and Gama. Um, as I said, you don't get any heavyweights in this city when it comes to sport. Um, but they have their own stadiums. They hold a little over 20,000. Um, they're not downtown, like the Grincha Stadium. They kind of got you know, in their suburbs. So I, I assume that, that you know, neither of these teams wanted to move into the Grincha Stadium because they serve their neighbourhoods and because they'd have loads of fans rattling around the stadium that's far too big for them. So this stadium is now sitting there. I don't know. What, what's it doing? Have, have, you, have you seen any uses for it recently? Have you looked into it and seen anything about this? Or? I, I just read one thing relatively recently where, like I said, it's just, you know, buses, city buses just park there. And it's like a storage facility. And I, I like, yeah, like you said, I don't know what the end game was when they built this giant stadium. Did they think they were suddenly going to have massive intercity derbies? Or um, I just... You know, other than for the sake of doing this nice stadium, and it is, it was spectacular. Um, I don't know what the end game was, and uh, yeah, but it's yeah. Since then, it's just I, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> the one thing I did, one thing I did know, random change of subject was uh, Brazil's also just absolutely bonkers for volleyball and as someone who's a big fan too um it was cool getting to turn on the tv and there's you know brazilian volleyball action on and uh you know it's just wild you know sort of like us where we have our main sports but this one is as much as you know of course soccer is is tops there but um yeah it was cool to see that there is sporting passion elsewhere of course they're big you know you know big form auto racing formula one fans are in senna's iconic but um yeah they really uh they really do like it's they're so much more diverse than just you know soccer mad which of course they are um and the, the women's game is growing there it was cool to see uh you know fans out there granted being on the field a lot of fans were like gesturing hey can we have your boots can we have your shirt and i'm like is that what fans are these days they just want stuff <laughs> I think sometimes it is sadly they always want a selfie or want some ice in the clove and it's a little bit freaky in it. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit much where it's like how entitled are you? You want someone's boots and it's just like if I was a player it'd be like, well sure, I get them for free, but this is weird. And although it was kind of cool since it was December, uh amongst the staff of the various teams there was almost like a not quite a black market but like a kit exchange uh because everybody was getting all their new stuff the following year. Uh, you know, in January. And so I think I ended up with a Scotland sweatshirt that I still have, which was this bright red one that I really like, uh, and a couple of Chile uh, polo shirts, both too small. Um, although I have lost a little weight lately, maybe maybe it fits. I ended up giving one to a friend who who's Chilean. And uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to, you know, be like, I'll give you some shorts for, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, anyway, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a friendly tournament, essentially, and, you know, everybody got along well. And, um, you know, it was one that, it was a fun one. It was really good. Well, I, I must admit, though, Gav, like, while, you've, you, while you had fun and the football experience sounds great, like, I don't feel myself rushing to Brasilia. Like, and I also looking at the, uh, like, the stadium's named after Garincha. I don't even think he's from there. And then, uh, you know, I think they try and claim Kaka, but he's actually from, like, a town nearby. He's not even from there. Um, I think the most famous footballer might actually be Felipe Anderson, the West Ham flop, who I think is currently out on loan. Um, 
and and like I don't know, it doesn't really seem like um, you know, it would probably be fourth or fifth on my list if I was to think of cities to visit in Brazil. Yeah, it's not one of the you know the great cities that all must see, but there is there is a certain thing that would that would get me back. You know, a couple things that I missed that I would certainly just want to tick off the list. The airports are can be a bit of a pain in the ass. I just remember having some difficulties. I think I missed one flight and had to be on the next one. Um, to Brasilia, and I remember going out, I was on uh, at least one flight with with one of the Scottish players, and we were just sort of helping guiding ourselves through, um, you know, I think there was a baggage collection area, and then we had to recheck, and it wasn't very clear, and um, so... Yeah, it was, and then there was a lot of construction where it's like, yeah, you're not getting this stuff built on time for the Olympic or for the World Cup or the Olympics. So maybe they did, but um, yeah, there's the, you know, there there are issues, but it's not one of those ones where it's be like, I'm going to Brasilia. Uh, it's just one of those ones where it'd be like, if if fate ever sort of brought me back that way, I'd be like, okay, there's some things I know I want to do now, and yeah, owls. <laughs> <laughs> no, that did sound like the best part to me by a mile. Oh, I was in heaven. It was absolutely outstanding. I remember there was like a team sort of walk through the park right near the 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 hotel, and I'm bringing out my camera, and I'm you know, ooh, owls, and I'm getting easily distracted and walking after them, and anyway, not you know, not pestering them in any way. I still you know gave them their space, but uh, it was fun. Anyway, let's uh, switch it up to a place I've already heard good things about, and you're another person who really likes Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, it's, um, I actually went there for work. Um, I you know, I think a lot of the places I've talked about on here have normally been for pleasure uh, that I've gone to, but I actually went there for work. Um, my old boss, Joe Ross, who's uh, since moved on to CBC, great guy, um, basically said, I want you to go to Columbus and just find out what's going on, they're trying to take the team away from them, you know, you'll be good at, you know, talking to the fans, just kind of getting to the root of it, find out how they're trying to keep their team there, um, I want you to fly over there, and it was kind of like a, you know, like a last last minute thing as to when the actual flights were booked, um, went via Philadelphia, um, and got there late May uh, 2018, um, a few days before they actually played Toronto FC, um, so it's kind of like a double assignment really, just keep an eye out just in case something crazy happened with TFC. Um, but my main thing to do was to kind of like talk to these people because, well, basically, this fella, Anthony Precourt, um, wanted to buy a franchise. Um, the general belief is that he wanted this franchise from the very start to be in Austin, Texas. Um, Don Garber, the MLS commissioner, had basically a queue of people who wanted an MLS franchise and you know, Precourt couldn't skip this queue. So, from everything I've been told and everything Major League Soccer wouldn't tell me because it wouldn't speak to me, um, Anthony Precourt was given opportunities to buy the Columbus crew for $68 million, which was well above market value at the time. With the gentleman's agreement, it might have even been in a contract that he could, a few years down the line, if he wasn't too enamored with Columbus, just move the team to Austin, Texas, which was the around 2,000 kilometres, it's kind of like moving Arsenal to Naples um, is a comparison to it. So, um, you know, quite clearly people were upset about this. Um, it was shady by Major League Soccer. I mean, I talked to some guy at um, 
think it was San Antonio, we didn't know those those guys were waiting for a team for ages. They'd actually built a stadium at great expense. I think it was around eighteen billion or something like that. And suddenly, you know, they get this proposition of Austin jumping ahead of them in a the queue. And a few more teams after that, as you've seen. Um so it sounds almost like the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder of the NBA, where they were the Seattle Supersonics. A guy named Clay Bennett bought them, and right from day one, you could tell he wanted to move. And there were even email chains where uh, the inference Seattle, you know, working like a man possessed, came up, and they, you know, they would say later, "Oh, we just meant keep trying to keep it in Seattle," but they meant moving it to Oklahoma City. So uh, it sounds very familiar to that. No, it's, it's absolutely vile. And I, I'd like, you know, Precourt tries to give this impression, like he actually did build a whole rebrand about this is for the city. You know, had a horrendous away kit, which apparently in the colours of something to do with Columbus. Um, like he really went for it. Like it almost like he was trying to see if he could get some passion for it. But after a kind of like half-baked effort, he was just like, okay, you know, the story came out. I think it was Grant Wilder that broke it. Um, saying that um, you know they're going to go out and you know basically you know a team out of Austin came out of nowhere, jumped ahead of queue at the expense of you know what I found out to be a very good community club and one of Major League Soccer's original franchises. So um, I went there um, the night the day I landed. Um, I went to a brewery called Endeavor Brewing, um, which was you know pr- like the beer was all right. I mean I tried all of them um the beer was okay I, I, it, it wasn't like you know life changing but the space was great and it had really become a real central hub for this group called save the crew um who were really you know who were doing everything to prove that they deserved the club it was a they caught one of the guys i talked to called it a campaign for empathy they called themselves i can't remember like the uh the shadow front office i think they called themselves they they basically did all the things a club should do so they promoted the games they Donated tickets to you know charities such as refugee kids who have been recent to the, you know, recently moved into the city. They got the support of local businesses, uh, be it financial or just you know having their posters up in the shops. They did all this stuff. They worked so hard to prove they deserved a team, and um, it was honestly like I the whole club mentality in in football. You kind of have to go into the lower levels to find it most of the time now. Like. While, you know, you'll see teams like, you know, I think Everton are quite good. I think Manchester City are quite good. You know, their charities, their local charities are good. But on the whole, they don't really strongly represent the neighbourhoods like they used to. And I feel like you have to go to the lower leagues normally. But with the Columbus crew, because of this group of fans, I have never felt such a community vibe around a sports club in North America more than I felt with the Columbus crew. Oh, cool. For for someone coming down from Toronto, of course, there's the, you know, the Trillium Cup, which everyone wants to win. Um, <laughs> you know, for them, did you, did you let them know you were coming down in advance or did you just sort of drop in and just sort of say, hey, I'm from, from Toronto and love to chat and, what, you know, how welcoming were the, the people? Because, of course, you know, American soccer fans are some of the most, you know, welcoming people you can meet. Uh, but what was it like for you just sort of meeting these people i think um they were very very warm very welcoming um i think i started before i went there by uh, messaging to say the crew group on twitter maybe um and i arranged them to meet them um at this at the brewery um it's actually where they happened to record a podcast as well which i think just actually uh, recently wrapped up but they had a really good run i think they were about ran for about five years called aces radio 
Um, just a really informal, quite funny, um, talk about football occasionally, but generally take the piss out of each other kind of podcast. And I, I yeah, they invited me onto that. Um, but I don't think, I, I really don't think they knew what to expect because I know that there were some journalists at the time, um, I won't name names, who were very um, <sighs> kind of scoffing at Columbus's right to have a team being very, very disrespectful, um, even over the phone, would, would like, you know, call somebody, say, of the crew guys and almost heckle them. Um, it was it was quite ridiculous. Um, so I think when they realised I went there, you know, from little old England, you know, really being behind the kind of community aspects of football and stuff like that, I think they, they were really, really warm and welcoming. And, you know, that was, would always be my main takeaway from Columbus. You know, I went there, and I was a little bit fearful. I was concerned that I would find like a load of ardent Trump supporters, to be honest. Um, but they were all, you know, very much aligned with my political beliefs. They were um, just incredible. I remember the second night there, after being in a brewery, the, the guy who started to save the crew movement, uh, Morgan Hughes, said, why don't you come around my house, um, you know, tomorrow? So, you know, after, you know, I think I went to the training ground that day and I just wrote up a feature and I just jumped to the taxi and headed over and, like, you know, he had a load of pizza, a load of beer, he had a few mates over and, you know, I didn't have the recorder out or anything. We just had a really nice evening just talking about the state of MLS, talking about, you know, how, you know, supporters and stuff like that and um, and also about how they've been shafted and um, just a really, really bunch you know, a lovely bunch of warm people. And, and, like, he was adamant that I would not bring beer to his house. He was absolutely adamant. And, like, normally I would anyway, but, like, I felt like I would really offend him if I did. So to just compensate, like, on the actual match day, I just went over to where he was tailgating and just, like, dropped a big two-four there. And I was like, all right, talk to you later. So, you know. <laughs> and, of course, they, they saved the crew. They are new, you know, there are new owners. And it's just, you, you talk about that community feel, and especially within... You know the, you know we've railed on the sort of modern corporate life of of big soccer teams. Even in in MLS with the the bigger clubs, it's, uh, you know it's it is have a very corporate feel. Uh, what's it like being in sort of a, a community environment where there are people out there, uh, who just like you know getting together and watching a game. It's just beautiful like because they they were really proud of their tailgate and in a way I wouldn't say it was like you know a huge crowded raucous affair um like you hear at like you know NFL games and stuff like that um it was a real family vibe like I met met um Karen Crognali whose uh, son Alex played for the team um and and her family were really close with the uh, Trap family World Trap the US international and the the Stefan family, the goalkeeper who now plays for Manchester City and is uh, US number one too. And, you know, I just went over there, had a chat with this family. You know, I tried some of Karen's deviled eggs, which were bloody wonderful. Um, you know, she was so, so nice. And I talked to her on the phone a little bit after I met her as well. And she was just saying how incredibly devastated she'd be if that went, because it's a whole family thing. Um, and... Yeah, it's just a great warmth, and it even went into uh, you know the club itself, you know the actual players, because a lot of the players, they would look you in the eyes when you asked them, like you know, kind of try to press them about a potential move, and you could see they were sad. You know, somebody like Federico Higuain, like he'd been really embraced by the fans there. Like he, I, there was one banner they unfurled at one game where he asked if he could have it, and he and he had it put in his car at the end, at like a few days later at training, like forced it into his car, or almost broke his car. And, you know, had it sent home to his family. And, you know, some of these people, you know, some of these players adore the club, but they couldn't say anything. But 
Um, I'm pretty, you know, I'll give myself a pat on the back here. I, I got told I was one of the, I, I was the first journalist to get one of the players to speak out on it because um, Josh Williams, who used to play for TFC, um, I sat down with him and he was a local lad, you know, grew up following the Columbus crew and stuff. And I just said, look, you know, your family have supported this team. I, you know, after we talked about your team, it would be suck if they left one. It would be suck if they didn't exist. And you just opened up about it. And um, the Save the Crew group were really, really appreciative of that, just to just to get one voice from the club. And I think it, I think it kind of opened the doors for maybe one or two others. Um, and I'll make a note about training as well. I thought everyone at the club was great. And also Greg Berhalter, who now manages... The U.S. men's national team uh, knew my hometown, Shrewsbury. Uh, he, he said he was like, "Oh, where are you from?" I was like, "Shrewsbury." He's like, "Oh yeah, 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 Shrewsbury town, decent club like that." So, uh, yeah, he's 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 always forever in my heart as well. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the stadium, Crew Stadium, or now you know Matt Free Stadium is it's one of, if not the first soccer-specific stadium in the U.S. It's you know it's the whole theme of this episode as we record this early 2021. Uh, the clock is ticking. The new stadium is, I believe, scheduled to open this year. Um, now, is you know it looks like a stadium that you know, in the era of these new modern MLS stadiums, it looks a little dated, but what was it like, you know, going in there? Um, I think it was the first soccer-specific stadium, actually. Well, certainly like, a lot of people told me it was when I was in Columbus, but um, it it does look knackered, and it was knackered at the time. Um, I mean, a lot of the fans mentioned to me about how it kind of gone into a bit of a state of disrepair since it was clear this owner didn't want to be around, like just, you know, basic functions like the toilet wasn't working and stuff like that um and yeah it was i kind of like a bit of old charm and stuff like that but when that kind of stuff's not working it's 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 rubbish isn't it um it it was um it was a beautiful sunny day it was really really nice um again the fans were extremely welcoming i kind of just set up in the press room put my stuff there and they just went walking out and just talking to fans and stuff like that and uh it's it, it was a basic stadium, but like you could feel the history in there. Anyway, that's where the, you know obviously a few famous uh, Dos Zero, uh, the two 0 wins over the Mexico had occurred. Um, the situation of the stadium, and I know this is a big was apparent you know apparently a big sticking point with Precourt. I think he just fabricated it to be honest, but um, it's it's a downtown stadium, but it doesn't really feel like it's downtown. It's a long way to a bar. It's a long way to anything of interest. So. That's why they tailgate. I think I kind of like press it on, and it, yeah, it's just it feels like a bit in the middle of nowhere. So I'm really, really excited for them to move downtown and just you know, be really in the action because the Columbus Brute Blue Jackets are right in the thick of things downtown as well. So it'd be nice to have two sports clubs down there. Oh, for sure. And uh, yeah, you mentioned the the U.S. games. Like the U.S., when they had tough games, they would schedule them in Columbus because, especially against Mexico, they would not like playing there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, there is a really passionate group of fans over there passionate but it doesn't mean that they don't uh, you know heckle their own because the people in Columbus absolutely hated Michael Bradley um, absolutely despised him I think it's because he openly spoke about well you know if they don't get the fans and stuff like that they don't you know I can understand if they you know will move a team he was openly talking about that and they were he got so heavily booed at the game and like any 
you know, it's like, um, you know, when, when it's like, oh, yeah, when you see uh, Michael Bradley, when you're doing your work after the game, just tell him to fuck off. You know, <laughs> just that kind of stuff. They just hate him. Uh, yeah, the city itself, um, you know, you mentioned outside of soccer. What's there to, you mentioned one brewery. What's there to eat, see, do? What did you get time for? Well, I, I did, you know, work hard this one like I did have a few hotel meals I have to admit and like you know spend a lot of time just in the hotel room whenever I wasn't out and about talking to people but I was fortunate enough to be uh, near the north market which is a good walk around um, some good food in there grabbed a decent sandwich in there if I remember correctly um, I, I, I you know one Saturday morning I walked around um, and it seemed like a bit of a ghost town. I think I was right in the centre, like I was near the city hall and stuff like that, but it was pretty quiet. I remember having breakfast somewhere, sausage with some white gravy, which I asked her what it was. It tasted all right, but I asked her what it was, and I still don't really understand what it was, because white's not a flavour, it's a, it's not even a colour. Um, but, you know, so that was a bit of a ghost town, but I'd probably say the best discovery I had when I was there was a place called Char Bar, which was a really, really good old, old school like bar, like a mixture of, um, you know, drunks and, you know, business people who've been working over the road at the convention centre all day, but a really good part, you know, good group of wholesome people to talk to, you know, dim and dirty lighting. Um, I don't, I can't remember if they had any beers on tap, but you, it's one of those places where you probably shouldn't drink any of the beer on tap. Um, it, it kind of remind me, you know, if we've got Toronto listeners to, you know, uh, like Wide Open um, or where I used to work, the Crooked Star, Arsenton, Dundas, like, you know, those like proper, you know, you get these places that open and try and brand themselves a dive bar. Like this was a genuine dive bar and it was just beautiful, like a really old school till, just great people. And, uh, you know, if anybody ever finds their way in Columbus again, I've recommended this to one or two friends since and they've been eternally grateful for me sending them there it's a great place people aren't afraid if, if someone just starts talking to them because i know especially in toronto or parts of canada we're just sort of like oh someone i don't know i don't really want to talk to you is this place you know where it's hey someone's chatting with me great yeah yeah people are chatting people are open there's no tv there if i remember correctly or there wasn't it didn't feel like there was one around the bar but i might have been distracted because i was just chatting to people around there chatting to the people who were there it was just a really good atmosphere and i just remember I think I was in a taxi and I just said like I think it was after I'd been to that um Tim Morgan's house and was you know with like uh John and Darby were there as well these two these say the crew people and um and I just remember saying to the taxi driver like you know it's it's still like I don't the game's a little bit late tomorrow like I I just wouldn't mind going to like a proper proper serious bar in the city you know just t- just take me somewhere that's like proper Columbus like I I want to like and and so the taxi driver thankfully took me somewhere that was really close to my hotel which was char bar and this is where he took me in it and it was absolutely amazing you're making me think of love actually when the british guy goes over to the u.s and he gets in the taxi <laughs> where do you want to go just take me to a bar a normal american bar <laughs> that i never thought of that i was he probably thought that exactly as well well I can tell you now, Gavin, I, I wasn't surrounded by uh, beautiful women, I can tell you that now. They were uh, toothless drunks and uh, drunken businessmen. Your accent you know. didn't uh, didn't lead to exciting situations? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> oh, that's good. What did I miss? Is there anything I missed? Um, oh, the game was good. Um, uh, the, uh, the TFC went 3-0 up, um, and then... 
I by poetic justice, I suppose, uh, Columbus Crew came roaring back for a three three draw. I'm pretty sure Michael Bradley was at fault for all the goals. Um, so that was uh, you know rapturously received by the locals. Um, Alex, the lad who's um, by my met in the car park before Andy got his first goal for the club as well, which was really lovely. Um, and I remember, I, I think I really annoyed Michael Bradley as well because I remember in the uh, dressing room after TFC had started the season really badly. I mean, it was after they won the MLS Cup. And I said to him, uh, you know, because it was around, it started June time, and I said to him, like, Michael, when does a bad start to the season just become a bad season? And he like... And it's a simple question. I don't think it's offensive, but honestly, he deaf stared me for about 10 seconds before he answered it. It was um, it was a wonderful trip. Um, I would like to do Columbus again properly and get to see the sights and get to see you know, things that you know, friends of yours have told you why they really like Columbus. Cause, but I had, I feel like I was very fortunate to have a very human experience of Columbus in meeting these great people, these incredibly passionate supporters of both the club and their city. And, uh, yeah, as I said, it, it's a real football club, Columbus Crew, and I'll always, always have a soft spot for him. I've got Columbus Crew gloves I wear when I go and take the dog out for a walk. You know, I love that club. <laughs> love it. Well, great. Now it's, it is, yeah, you, like I said, you're not the first person to say they liked it, and, and the people always make a good trip. So, um, you know, our border is still closed, but one day, maybe, we'll actually get to do something for real. One day, one day. Well, that was another one. That was another fun one. Our first one of 2021. And uh, we'll see where we go next. Thanks again, Dan. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thanks to listeners for listening.